Greetings, pool players and pool fans from coast to coast and around the world. You are listening to American Billiard Radio, and it is April 3rd, 2014. My name is Mr. Bond, and I will be your host once again for this evening, and uh, welcome to another great episode. We're going to switch it up just a little bit, and uh, we'll be talking with uh, Mr. Stan Shuffett, PBIA Master Instructor. Um, You may have heard of Stan from his CTE Pro 1 instructional material. We'll also be talking with the always stunning Predator Q player, Gail Glazebrook Robles. But first, I have to remind you that uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night in Chicago, Freddy's gonna, Freddy the Beard, is gonna be at the hideout where he's gonna be participating on the interview show. Talk about his new book, The Encyclopedia of Pool Hustlers. And then, of course, next week, he will be in the New York area doing a couple of events there. So if you are out and about and available, then we obviously recommend that you go see him and you go see what's up. And now, on with the show. We were talking with Mr. Shuffett about his instructional programs. And, you know, the the thought crossed my mind. With his son under his tutelage, it makes you wonder. Since Landon's been taking uh, nine-ball title after title... For the last decade, perhaps he might be on to something there, you know? Anyway, this is what he had to say. How are you doing, Mr. Shuffett? Uh, you guys uh, seeing any signs of spring over there yet? <laughs> yeah, doing, doing great, uh, David. Uh, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be on your program. Yeah, we've had a little bit of a tough winter for sure for Kentucky. It's been a little bit uh, a little bit rougher than usual, but we're starting to uh, see some signs of spring now. I think everybody in this area is sure glad to see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're ready for it up here. That's a fact, man. It's it's just been I don't know, it just seems like it never ends. So, uh <laughs> um if you could for those that are not necessarily uh, familiar with uh, your career, tell us a little bit about how you sort of began in the pool world and then what led you to uh, get into the instructional aspect of it. Sure. Well, I, I'm sort of a lifelong uh, uh, participant in this game. I, I first started playing pool when I was eight years old. A, a friend of mine by the name of Brave Eagle said, let's go to the pool room. Well, I had no clue what I was in store for, but <laughs> we went into the pool room and I went back to the, I think it was the fourth table. And from the time that I hit the first ball, I fell in love with the game. So my job from that point on was get to the pool room every day that I possibly could because I just dearly loved it. But now my dad, he had other thoughts. He grew up in the pool room a little bit too. and He knew what was there. So we had a little game, you know, going on about uh, he didn't particularly want me to be there, <laughs> and but I I just uh, had to be there. So I grew up playing bank. Bank was a great big 
game in Kentucky, and every Saturday the pool room was full from daylight to dark, and they had one table that was set aside for banking, and it was quite an honor to get on that table. So by the time I was 9 or 10, I'd worked my way up to that front table, and I was uh, I was playing bank fairly well. So uh, I continued uh, with the bank game and didn't play a lot of rotation-type pool, and but but I, we did play what we called you know rotation and and some uh, cribbage or fifteen balls. So mm-hmm. uh, on up through my teen years, I I kept on kept on playing, and oh, along about seventeen or eighteen, things changed a little bit, and I took a little bit of a break and didn't play a lot at that time, and uh, went on to college and played a little bit in college, but. Not uh, not too much. There were just other activities that had my attention. So I went ahead and graduated from college. And uh, once I got my mind clear of work and career and this and that, uh, the, the passion of pool kept uh, knocking at my door, so to speak. And Nick Barner had a U.S. Open qualifier for uh, the straight pool tournament at his room. And I went up there and watched that tournament and, I walked away that day seeing some of the greatest players in the country play, and I thought to myself at the time that, you know, I can play like those players. I'm just not as consistent. So sure. I went out of the, I went out of that pool on that day and dedicated myself to four to six hours a day for the next five years. Wow. So that's what I did. I played pool four to six hours a day, and, and this was in conjunction with my job. And then on every weekend, I, I would – Travel around, uh, you know, Kentucky or sometimes out of Kentucky, and and and, and try to, you know, match up cheaply. I never was a, a big gambler. Just, uh, you know, just at that time, five, ten dollars a game. Sometimes twenty was actually a big game for me back then. Yeah. So uh, it was actually during that spell I was playing a Kentucky legend, Johnny Edwards. Uh, I was actually at his house, and we were we were practicing and. Uh, I had a pretty good pumping motion in my arm because I, I really didn't know what I was doing. But he, he sort of laughed at me and said, what are you doing? Are you pumping water or what? <laughs> so I went, I went home and I put a mirror beside my pool table. I was in a home now, I had a pool table. And I began working on that because I, I didn't want to have a flaw as, as Johnny perceived it. So yeah. I worked on it. And lo and behold, other people noticed the change and, they said, could, could you help me? So that was sort of the beginning of my uh, teaching career. I thought, well, I'm, a, I'm an educator, and then I play pool, so maybe it's a natural thing that I, uh, <laughs> you know, can work with some people. Because I did have a little bit of a reputation around my hometown that, that you know, that I could pool very well. And a lot of people wanted to, you know, learn how to play. They were putting tables in their home and this and that, and they would invite me over to give them a few tips. But... I really didn't know what I was doing. I would just tell, give them the best information you know, I could at the, at, at the time. So sure. uh, that's that's really how it uh, that's really how it all began. I know as far as I do practice what I preach. Once upon a time, I I, I got very intrigued with straight pool, so I went and had a lesson with Nick Farner. And uh, at that time, I think my high run was only about a sixty-one and then I, I somehow got hooked up with Mark Bielfus up north, and 
I went up to see Mark and spent an entire day with him. And that was a, Mark was a great young player and we spent eight hours, uh, uh, working with straight pool. So my goal was at that time was to run a hundred or, or bust. You know, I'd seen this, uh, uh, tournament at Knicks and watching Mike Carella run a 50, you know, was a big deal to me and watching, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the other players post up those runs. And so, you know, I, I felt like, if I could run a hundred, I would be a pro. <laughs> but uh, 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 I found out later that's not that's not so. But uh, yeah. I, I did finally work my way into you know running some hundreds. But the one thing that I one thing that I noticed during my play uh, during that era, I, I started realizing that I was inconsistent, right. visually and physically. I did sure. not. Uh, bring the same feel or the same game to the table day by day. And I, I think many cool players experience this. They play good oh, yeah. one day. And Absolutely, the, yes. The next day their game drops off. So naturally, what do you do? You go to the books. You go to what's available to try and, you know, learn how to solve this. And, and, and back then, a lot of it was – just get on the table and play. Just play, play, play. Well, I, I, I certainly put in my share of hours. And um, as far as being an instructor, I was probably my, my, my biggest student, probably, because, <laughs> you know, working forced me to stay right there at home. And so, uh, consequently, I became my own project, sure. whether it was working on – various aspects of the game and I, that, to be honest with you I didn't have a lot of work uh, a lot of luck working with myself yeah. and as I look back on it I can I can see that the information that was out there as far as how to play the game visually and physically was uh, not up to par in my opinion there right, was right. really nothing out there that could tell me how to play the game yeah. uh, so that that's sort of that's sort of my background uh, of playing. I, I, I've been a pretty good competitor around the state of Kentucky for uh, you know for for many years. I've won lots of local tournaments and some tournaments out and about around Kentucky and even out of Kentucky. I think uh, uh, oh my best finish. I think that I'm most proudest of is I won a. Uh, one of Tommy Kennedy's tournaments down in Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia was sixty. Uh, so I, was, I think it was sixty-four players, maybe sixty-two, but it was loaded with good players. And I went through that tournament undefeated, and I had a top ten finish in one of the BCA National Eight Ball tournaments, and a top ten finish in one of the Kalamazoo uh, One Pocket tournaments, and and the Kentucky Open. I think I had a, a like a nine through twelve finish in that. That was at Jimmy Hodges's. Pool room. I think that was the first tournament that Ken Davenport uh, uh, ever won. Was there at uh, okay. Q time in Bowling Green? So, you know, I pretty much just uh, categorized myself as a as a good working player sure. and and uh, worked hard to try to play the game well. And uh, that's what I'm consequently doing now with teaching. Is that I'm just sort of a blue collar kind of teacher. I just get in there and try to understand what's happening with the game and then present uh, present many things from from my experiences sure sure 
What um do you have? Well, first of all, I think it's amazing that they were even letting you in the, into the pool room that young. <laughs> That's uh, probably the exception rather than to the the rule these days. Uh, I don't think they let the kids in there much anymore. But uh, well, in the in the country in the in the small country pool rooms, it was a little bit different. You know, yeah, it yeah. Uh, uh, it was easier to do that in in say small town. USA versus sure, you know yeah. one of the in one of the cities, for example. But my dad did have a plan. Yeah, when I was about uh, fifteen, he thought, well, you know, I'll put a table in the house, and you won't go into the <laughs> pool room. So it took a lot of. Of course, I was happy with that too. But yeah, that that really didn't keep me out of the pool room. I would just practice there at home, and then I would uh, go to the pool room too. So to exercise uh, what you had learned. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but but my, my dad, he really didn't want to get to the table. He but after many years after after he got it, he he would say that that was the most used piece of uh, he referred to it as furniture that we he ever bought. So <laughs> he he always regarded it as a, as a sound investment. And he could play a little bit too, actually. Did you have, um, I know you were talking about banks at first, a little bit later on, did you have a, uh, a favorite game that you sort of gravitated to? Because you mentioned eight ball and one pocket and some different uh, accomplishments. What? It, I, I don't know if it's one that you think that you do the best as much as one that you like better than the rest of them. Well, a bank has always sort of been... Uh, you know, if if I had to match up with somebody and and come with my best game, it, it, I might choose bank simply okay. because that just is it just permeates my whole mm-hmm. uh, approach sure. to the game. I can fall into a bank stroke pretty easy. There you go. If if you if you have to fall into a nine ball stroke, for example, it's a little more demanding in my opinion uh, uh, because there's the, the the bank game. You're going to punch a lot of balls. Yeah. So, not that the bank game is any easier. I don't want to imply that at oh, all. Oh no, but, not at all. Yeah, right. But but but, but when you go to nine ball, you you, you might you're, you're going to punch balls and draw balls and spin balls, and your cue ball control is more, uh, you know, is more complex. Sure. I, I guess you could say. But uh, so I could fall in the bank stroke a little bit easier than say I could nine ball stroke because. I didn't learn to play the rotation games until, right. you know, until I was. I started playing them when I was sixteen or seventeen, and then then when I really committed to learning the rotation games was actually when I was at twenty five. That's when I twenty five and twenty seven. That's when I really decided that I wanted to be able to compete with with top players. I didn't right. really know what I was getting into <laughs> as far as competing with top players. Sure. But once I made that commitment to play pool for four or six hours a day for five years, it, it wasn't long that I, I had a list of players that I had competed against and, and, and won against, uh, you know, many pros. Of course, in a tournament, that can happen. Right. Uh, right, right. So so I did have a lot of uh, uh, successes at the game that, uh, that, that I was, you know, quite proud of uh, during those early years. But sure. um, I... I guess I would like to have made it into that, uh, you know, that pro category there one time. And most people do aspire to be that kind of a player when they really get, you know, bitten by the pool bug. But mm-hmm. um, I think I do a lot of things that are very pro-like, and uh, that, that consequently that's helped me as an instructor because 
you know, I can I can work with professional players and and easily uh, demonstrate and point out and and have the kind of knowledge that uh, that they appreciate because of the experiences that right. I have had. Exactly, exactly. And it would be hard for you to really understand that and to talk about it unless you had been there. You know, I think that's uh, I think that's yeah, uh, that's important. I, I, I think that's true in a, in a comprehensive type. Yes, uh, perspective. exactly. Yes, you know, there's lots of great instructors that that you know have a thorough understanding of stroke and can work with you know pros and such. But you know, to it it does help. It yeah. does help to Absolutely. the better you can play. Is uh, that's always a plus. Sure. And then communication skills are huge, and understanding what uh, what is going on. You know, pool is. Uh, Pool is, uh, it's a visual, physical game, and it's not easy to describe what's happening on the table. So right. uh, one thing that I've, I've learned as an instructor, and I actually heard another really good instructor make this comment one time, but it really stuck with me. I try my best to not speak about things that I, that I really don't know. So, sure. and, and I've been guilty of that for sure, but I... I really try to keep things that I'm just not sure of uh, under hat until I can test them out and try them out and mm-hmm. work with other players and get proper feedback from. So sure. uh, it, it's a it's a it's an it's an amazing responsibility for someone to work with a player to make sure you give them the right information because when you tell somebody something that's incorrect, they could spin their wheels with that for years, even a lifetime. Sure. So I don't want to be guilty of that because I've I, I've I've had that to happen to me. Well, you do this. Well, I get that little thought in my mind, and I'm doing it ten years later, fifteen years later, trying to make it work. <laughs> right. So, so what I my goal now is to provide objective information that can allow a player to shorten their learning curve. In other words, you get on the correct path of playing. And you know the right approach, and and then you can go forward without having to take those steps backwards, you know, quite so much. Sure, sure, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I would like to talk a little bit more about that uh, your uh, instructional uh, dogma. And so let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we can talk a little bit more about. Uh, the um, the concepts that uh, you like to talk about uh, with your instructional material. How's that sound? That'd be great. That'd be great, David. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back after this. Okay, welcome back, everybody, and I'm talking to Mr. Stan Shuffett. Stan, if you could um, tell our listeners, um, let's see, how do I put this? Uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, your teaching concept and um, where that comes from. Sure. Well, as an educator, uh, I became keenly aware of working with individuals in the classroom that various uh, intelligences were at play. Of course, in, in elementary education or secondary education, we're, we're mainly uh, tested on language and math, 
Well, when you go to the pool table, those two intelligences don't rule. Uh, Pool is played from the perspective of our visual and physical intelligence. Right. So I I slowly started gravitating toward trying to unravel what was happening visually and physically at the game. I know early, you know, years back, uh, I worked with Landon on the various uh, techniques for, you know, setting up and aiming and I do remember uh, working with the quarter system many years ago, and I had some success with it. That was my favorite aiming system up to this point. But I I did go ahead and work with Landon on that, and he just said, Dad, I missed the shot because I'm guessing. You know, he would pick out the half ball and the three-quarter ball and and adjust to in between, for example, and then miss the ball. And he'd say, well, I, I guessed wrong. So right. I, I, I realized at that time that Landon had a lot of talent, and I wanted Landon to have the best aiming system that he could possibly have, if there was such a thing. Sure. And I became aware of uh, this individual, Hal Hool, and uh, he made his phone number you know, uh, public for people to talk with him, and I called Hal. And from the very first call that I had with him, I became intrigued with what he had to say. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, how would you like your son to aim like Efren Ray is? Well, mm-hmm. at that point, I'm thinking, well, I'm all ears. Tell me more about it. So <laughs> yeah. he said, "He said you do know that Efren aims in another dimension, don't you? And I'm thinking, well, uh, whatever dimension he was talking about, I didn't know, but I wanted to hear more about it. So <laughs> yeah. he, he was telling me about center-to-edge aiming. I had no clue. So... Uh, it wasn't long, maybe another phone call or two, I would speak with him, and he'd say, well, set up a ball at your table and look at center to edge and just drop down and shoot that shot. Well, I'd miss it a half a diamond. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way (laughs) that I'm going to use this aiming system or teach it to myself. (laughs) But having said that, I couldn't get this, I couldn't get this aiming in another dimension out of my mind. I, I knew there was something to what this man was saying. Right. I just had a feeling. He's telling me something that is true, but I can't connect with what he's saying. So I went on for two or three years every now and then just piddling with centered edge, and I really didn't have any connection with it. But my eyes were continually looking at center to edge. So my eyes were getting an education, and I really didn't know it. But I was trying somehow to make sense of what he said. And um, I had some opportunities to further my learning a little bit with center-to-edge aiming, and uh, I did so. And, and you know, more conversations with Hal and, and, and such. So I was actually starting to make balls, you know, three or four years later and starting to make them really, really well but I could not explain what I was doing, but I knew something was happening. Right. So at this point, I spent a lot of hours looking at cue balls and object balls, trying to, trying to make sense of this. And uh, finally, um, I was able to make a pretty big uh, discovery in that if you look at center to edge from an offset, and this, 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 came, this prompt came from Hal, he indicated to me very strongly that if you're looking purely down the center to edge line, you're you're not going to have much luck, which which was a 
clue to make sure you're at an offset. In other words, you're not directly looking at the center to edge line. Right. Well, that was a problem. So if you're going to have an offset, how do you determine what the offset is? <laughs> right. So it's it's like it was a sort of a feel thing, but I still knew that something was happening. So uh, during that during that phase, I learned the pro one movements, which simply means that you either bend right or bend left into the into the shot. And you know how once how said once upon a time, and and he he. he he, well, he said, the top 200 players in the world are using my system. Well, no one was going to really believe that the top 200 players in the world were using center to edge aiming. But what <laughs> Hal understood, right. in, in my opinion, is that the top players were lining up to an offset and, and sweeping into the balls, either sweeping into the cue ball either from the left to the right. Right, right. I've made right. this example. I, I've written about this on AZ Billiards two or three times over the past several months that if you access the, the, the Jimmy Karras Willie Moscone match and watch uh, Jimmy Karras run his first 28 balls, he is sweeping into his balls, yes. into the cue ball. Mm-hmm. So uh, what is being taught by and large is you look at a ghost ball or a contact point or a fraction and you move straight in. But if you look at Jimmy Karras, he's sweeping into the ball. He's not moving straight in. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that means that he's playing from an offset. So if you if you observe the, the the top players play today, you're going to see them, particularly when they're in, in, in their zone, they're sweeping into the shots. They're not setting up and moving in on uh, uh, a, a ghost ball or contact point or – what have you. So I had, by this time, I've logged thousands of hours looking at the cue ball and the object ball, and I still couldn't describe it. I knew something was happening, but I could not describe it. So I, I had a lot of people that tell me, well, you, you know, if you, can't, if you can't really describe it, you shouldn't be teaching it. You shouldn't be doing it. Right. So that just that was the wrong thing to tell me, though, because <laughs> I, I'm just stubborn. If you tell me I can't do something, then I'm going to knuckle down and work on it just that much harder. Right, right, right. So I kept so I kept putting all the variables in front of me. So this is we're, we're seven seven years removed from my first conversation with Hal at this point. So uh, one night I put all the variables in front of me. Uh, the pivoting variable, the center-to-edge offset variable, and then, you know, if you take Hal's document, the, the, the one that uh, is seemingly incorrect because there's some uh, information that's missing. So I put all three of these things together, the, the, the pivoting, the center-to-edge, and the document. Well, once I had all the variables in front of me, I recognized the system, center-to-edge aiming, pure center-to-edge aiming. I knew the system in five minutes. Mm. My eyes were already accustomed to looking at all these uh, offsets. So I started using the system as I teach it today, basically within five minutes once I had the variables in front of me, doing the sweeps, doing the half-tip pivots, and such. So what's the significance of uh, of center-to-edge aiming? Well, we know that pools played on a two-by-one 
surface ratio. Yes. Yeah. So so you've got you you've got a table that's twice as long as it is wide. Exactly. Well, exactly. Center to edge aiming gives you two specific center to edge perceptions. They're offset perceptions that can be described that connect to the right angles of a regulation table. A regulation table has essentially eight right 90 degree angles. So the system will take the player to aim lines that connect with the pockets or the right angles. So that's significant. When we're looking at, you know, cut shots and such, we we think, well, we know where the pocket is, so you're just making an adjustment for that pocket shooting. Well, that's not really true. The system the system actually takes you to the shot line, and in doing so, it takes you to a slight overcut. So throw is actually built in to some degree. So you're in a slight mm-hmm. overcut position where you don't even have to make an adjustment for that. That's not to say that sometimes you don't use spin here and there. I'm not saying that. I'm just purely talking about center-to-edge as a center uh, cue ball position. But when you look at a bank shot, you don't have uh, something to look at on the rail that tells you the angle for the bank. Center-to-edge aiming will take you to banking angles. This is once a person learns the system. They can... They can access banking angles typically by using the 15 and 30 degree perceptions that are part of the CTE Pro One system. Mm-hmm. Well, these these perceptions connect with the table. So there's never been anything like this in the history of the game because uh, the, the the typical approaches to aiming are absolutely based on. You know, based on feel, there's there's not any controversy about that. So right, right. center-to-edge aiming is a system, and, and Hal said this first, it's a system that was never supposed to be. Because really and truly what center-to-edge aiming is, is a perception that is a connector to the geometry of the table. Well, what makes it not supposed to be is that you're using a person using this system is using their eyes in a different manner than they would for typical aiming. Right. So in, in center-to-edge aiming, let's say you, you're working with two lines, the edge of the cue ball to A and center-to-edge, which would be a 15-degree perception. So what happens is when you're perceiving those two lines, you're not the, the, the player is not directly behind either of those two lines, so you're creating a perception, and it's that perception that gives you the offset to center to edge. Mm -hmm. So earlier in the conversation, I said, well, how do you know where the perception is for center to edge if you're not directly on the center to edge line? Well, it's the edge of the cue ball. It's the aim point line that is perceived to one of the quarters on the object ball that locks you into the proper offset perception for center to edge mm-hmm. so it's it's a it, it's a remarkable system and it has huge implications for uh, for our game because now i can bring a b player a c player i can bring a c player in as a student and i can have them moving into the ball visually and physically like that of a professional player I can show them how to bank how to bank a ball, one rail and two rails and even three rails. That doesn't mean they're going to make all the shots, sure. but 
it's 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 not uncommon for uh, uh, players to come in that are you, you know I don't know if you call it the intermediate category or the the beginning up to intermediate category to all of a sudden to make a two rail back shot and it was explained to them rather than just well you got to hit here right or you right. got to hit over there a little bit mm-hmm. and CTE is is something other than hit here. You can objectively line up to specific perceptions, and all of the movements in the center cue ball are visually equal. In other words, if you were to set up a straight-in shot and you're going to be at a slight offset, and let's just say you bend over and shoot that shot, which in my case would be a right visual sweep, every single shot in the game is essentially reduced to that of being equal to shooting a straight-in shot. So... Uh, the, the, the reason we like straight-hand shots is because you have a center-to-center alignment that, that helps us to know that we're in line to make that ball. Right. But when you have a cut shot, you don't have anything like that. Yes. You just you shoot, the, you shoot the ball, you just bend over and go to the center cue ball, and there's your shot. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens is because you're doing the same thing every time in, in Pro 1, it's always equal to a half-tip pivot, then... It, it, it's a very repeatable physical, uh, visual physical movement. And there it's, you go. Uh, it, it's quite remarkable. Well, yeah, and I think that uh, is key is that uh, you made the reference to being repeatable. Uh, and I think that is directly related to consistency. Is if you can, re- mm-hmm. you know, repeat the same thing, the same uh, either procedure or result again and again. That's going to take you ahead. That's going to move you forward. Uh, just like mm-hmm. you said way back at the very beginning of the conversation about consistency. Um, I right. think that's um, probably one of the biggest uh, um, hurdles that uh, the vast majority of us out there have to overcome. And we can play good on one day and bad on another day. So consistency is what we all seek. I do um, appreciate you taking the time, Stan. I um been my pleasure absolutely i um i hope that um some of our listeners out out there will uh take the time to investigate a little more and uh, perhaps even give you a call and discuss it um if they want to do that uh, how can they get a hold of you well uh the the easiest way to establish contact is uh, is by going to my website justcuit.com that's j-u-s-t-c-u-e-i-t dot com just cue it my contact information is there and i'm always happy to uh uh talk with uh, folks that are interested in center edge aiming and uh, uh i can even arrange uh, you know a phone conversation easily too if, if one would like that but i'm uh, i love sharing uh, uh things that i've learned about center edge aiming and uh, hopefully i can uh create an interest for others as well sure all right well i wish you the best of luck uh for the rest of 2014 and uh, thank you for taking the time again to, to talk to us and uh we'll talk to you again soon i'm sure okay my pleasure i really appreciate this opportunity david all right we'll talk to you soon uh stan take care
Hi, I'm Scott Lee, PBIA Master Instructor from Largo, Florida. And I'm Randy Gatlicker, PBIA Master Instructor from Dallas, Texas. And welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. So what do we got today, Scott? Well, our topic this week is speed control, Randy. Really? Speed control? Yeah, so what is speed control? Well, if you want a definition, speed control is the ability to stroke with a desired speed at any given moment. And I always like to add on to that on-demand, under-pressure in one try, because that's what playing pool is all about. Yeah, you get one shot. That's it. All right. And, and controlling speed is, is the main job of our eyes and our bicep. It's not about bridge length. It's really, if you narrow it down, Scott, it's about training the brain. It is. And our brains are hardwired to like numbers. No matter what we do, all of us use numbers in our jobs, in our daily activities, in everything that we do. And, and those numerical scales are pretty much the same for most of us. Hardwired, huh? Hardwired. Yeah, I like that. So in, in pool school then, we teach a numerical form of speed control, which is easily recognizable and immediately uh, uh, installable into our pool game. It sure is, and, and it works for anything from a lag up to a break. In on seven foot, eight foot, nine foot, and I even use it on a snooker table, a 12 foot snooker table when I play golf. And it allows us to move from table to table, shorter to, to uh, longer, uh, tougher to easier, it doesn't make any difference. How about this? He who adjusts first might have the winning edge. He certainly would have a huge advantage. And in speed control, it's all about numbers. It certainly is, it's all about numbers. Our what's, brains love them. What's next week? Well, join us next week when we're going to talk about the most important shot in pool. The most important shot in pool. wonder what that is. Got to be the stop shot. It sure is. I'm Randy G. I'm Scott Lee. Thanks for joining us for the One Minute Pool Instructor. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I'm your host Allison Fisher of NYCGrind.com and joining me this week is Gail Glazebrook-Robles. How are you doing, Gail? I'm great, Allie. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Gail, Gail is... Uh, one of the co-founders of the NAPL, National Amateur Pool League, here in New York, and she also runs the um, part of their Pro-Am tour with her husband, Tony Robles. And William Finnegan. And William Finnegan, the tour director. So why don't we uh, talk a little bit about how you got started in pool and how things kind of evolved for you coming to New York. Um, I had a pool table growing up in Miami, Florida. I was one of those lucky young kids that got to play pool with my friends on the table. Um, and I was definitely a tomboy, so I always wanted to be around the guys. And my dad and his friends would play pool. So in order to stay around them, I learned to play pool on the pool table. And actually, 
got pretty decent. I was no pool player by any stretch of the imagination, but I knew how to make a ball into a pocket. Mm -hmm. And that's about as far as my family knew, <laughs> knew too. So um, then I went to college and uh, my best friend, Lauren Rothman and I, we were thick as thieves and our Fridays and Saturdays usually involved JP Gators in Gainesville, Florida, go Gators. Um, <laughs> and we would play pool and Again, I really wasn't a pool player. I just knew how to make a ball into a pocket. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we would have a great time there, and I played on the University of Florida's pool team. I didn't know anything about follow, draw, or anything like that, um, but I had a great time playing pool with my friends. And then I moved to New York in 2004, and Lauren introduced me to the Amsterdam Billiards Club, and they had leagues, so I thought, oh, good way to meet new people in this brand new city. So we joined Amsterdam Billiards Club. Uh, Chris Lynch was the tournament director, or the league operator. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just slowly started to become more and more obsessed with the game. And I started taking lessons from Tony Robles. And um, I didn't know at the time, but he had a big crush on me. Uh. <laughs> I was not available. Um, and he kept his is a infatuation a secret and then lo and behold uh, Jerry Tarantola noticed that I was not hanging around with the, the boyfriend at the time ah. and said hey Gail are you seeing anybody and I said actually I just recently am not and he said oh, I got somebody interested in dating you and I said who and he said Tony Robles and I was like whoa I was like totally starstruck uh, it was Tony Robles, like he's like the player in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Why is he interested in me? And uh, we went out on a couple of dates and just really, really hit it off. And really when I started dating Tony was when I started to really take the game seriously. He was really interested in it and spending time with him was often in a pool hall. Sure. So, um, and there were a lot of good players in New York, a lot and I wanted to get better so that I could compete with them. And um, just started to play in some of the tri-state tours, played in a couple more of Amsterdam's leagues. And um, then as Tony and I got closer, um, you know, I'm a CPA. I've been in business with my, uh, for myself for a long time. I had a corporate job at the time, but I also had a side business doing accounting. And uh, I noticed that Tony, had some ideas about wanting pool to be a bit bigger and having more of an influence in the game. And we just started kind of like pillow talk, talking about things that we would do and things that he would change and things that he would like to see in the pool world. Mm -hmm. And I had the business background and he had the pool knowledge and the contacts and lo and behold, Predator Pro-Am Tour was born. Was born. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, shortly after that, uh, we wanted more. So um, we started the National Amateur Pool League, and that has the two businesses have taken up the majority of our life, and um, they're we're really proud of them. It's something that um, we feel we try to improve all the time. Um, we get positive feedback, and we try to listen to any criticism. We try. It's it's always hard when it's your baby, but you know we 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 really do want to see the game stay strong and sure. get stronger and. Um, it's a passion of both of ours, particularly Tony, because, I mean, this has been his whole life. Mm -hmm. And uh, he really, really, really wants the game to be treated with respect and have a strong following 
and have a future. Um, that's his number one goal is to make sure that Pool is around for a long, long time. And if he leaves this planet, he hopes that it's on a better path than when he started out. Well, I can say without much doubt that I think that's definitely the case. <laughs> Thank you. I know that both of you have worked tremendously hard to make Pool better in New York alone, and obviously I think that New York is so influential to uh, a lot of other surrounding areas, and it having as much visibility as it does, I know it has a positive, a positive impact. So now you have these two great endeavors that have been very successful, but you still don't have enough. <laughs> you still don't have enough. Now you have the New York City BCA Championships. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. I always want more. Um, we started a third business uh, called Silent Assassin Productions. Um, and it is, uh, Tony and I both have been a part of witness and played in some really amazing events, uh, in our pool careers. Um, the BCA PL national championships out in Vegas is the first one that comes to mind. Tony and I have had a great deal of success there. Mm -hmm. You would know that right. Kiss of Death won the national championship, uh, the team event in 2009. And then in 2010, I was fortunate enough to win the Women's Open singles. Mm -hmm. In 2011, Tony won the Grandmasters. And then in 2012, we Hill Hill took runner-up <laughs> in the Masters Scotch Doubles uh, against two uh, formidable opponents and fantastic people, um, Jeanette Atwell and Wes. So we um, learned a great deal from the BCA Nationals and also Alan, uh, Mark Griffin and the entire CSI staff, like just kudos to them for what they do for the pool community in general. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And then the, um, Alan Hopkins also is another one that puts on an event in our area, the Super Billiards Expo. Mm -hmm. Just the, these people just have made Tony and I eager to try and emulate them and try and replicate them as much as we can to, you know, do more and and app offer more to the players. So we got to thinking about the fact that we run a BCA sanctioned league, the NAPL is BCA sanctioned, and we thought there's nothing in our area for our BCA pool league members to play in and compete in outside of nationals in Vegas. Right. So we decided to put on the New York City eight ball championships here in New York. It's for BCA PL members here in New York City leagues. And it's gonna be June 5th through the 8th at Steinway Billiards. And it's basically like a mini Vegas, the singles part. Um, there's going to be men's leisure, women's leisure, men's and women's open separately. Um, we're going to have grandmasters, women's masters, all the singles that you would basically see, or most of the singles you would see in Vegas, we're going to offer in this tournament. Mm -hmm. And it's, we're hoping that this is sort of like an every four months thing for our BCA members. If you're going to have the eight ball in June and then couple of months down the road you'll have the New York City nine ball championships and the New York City ten ball championships and it's something that we're hoping our players that play in our league as well as other BCA PL leagues in our area mm -hmm. feel like their membership qualifies them not only for playing in their awesome leagues that they already play in but um, for this title you know and, and right. a, a New York City championship title 
Um, and hopefully, since this event is in June, it'll be good preparation for a lot of New Yorkers to take down some major events in Vegas this July. Well, and I think uh, one thing that just occurred to me is not all of the players can have the ability to travel out to Vegas. So I think this will be another opportunity so that there's still an option locally for them to compete against other players in the city. You bring up a great point that we've heard that from a lot of our members um, that play in our National Amateur Pool League um, that they can't go to Vegas, whether it's work constraint, time constraint, can't get off, uh, can't get away from the family, you know, right. or they don't want to. Um, so this is an opportunity. It's four days, and you can, and a lot of the events are two and three days. So you'd have the opportunity to play in a big event yeah. at, through your BCAPL um, league and have an opportunity to, to do something really cool that doesn't involve the cost and uh, commitment that perhaps the Nationals does. Yeah, yeah. it definitely is a, a time commitment to yes. <laughs> fly to Vegas. And then just being in Vegas in and of itself is... Awesome, but it's maybe awesome. expensive. <laughs> right, right. It, I, I would never, ever tell anybody to not take the opportunity to go to Nationals. It's phenomenal. It, it's just... It, it is. It's an experience yeah. to be... It, it's amazing. I, it, you just... To see that row of those diamond bar tables is awesome. As a pool player, it's like your wet dream. <laughs> yeah. I, I always think about walking in for the first time and just... You're in heaven. Yeah. You're in heaven. And I'm excited about going this year because I didn't get a chance to go last year and see it at the Rio. So this, uh, I'm planning on finally being there again for the first time in three, four years. I haven't, haven't been. So oh, you're going to, the Rio was like major upgrade. Upgrade. Major. And there's Starbucks in the place. So it's just... Let's just stop it right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that uh, seals, seals the deal, exactly. certainly. <laughs> but bring your walking shoes. I will tell you, the walk from your room to the, event, like, to the convention center, mm -hmm. you don't gain weight in Vegas. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. There's hardly enough time to eat. Exactly. And, and then on top of all the walking that you do, yeah. those two factors. Uh, so... You mentioned the the formatting is going to be the same handicapping system, not handicapping, but the same ranking system as in Vegas. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be a little different. We understand that the Nationals is such a like on such a big scale, and it's it's probably impossible to put somebody in New York in the same category as somebody in Idaho because th their leagues are just going to be different. Mm -hmm. So the, one of the main reasons that we kept it local to New York City was so that we could have a better hold on the handicapping system for this event. Mm -hmm. So we're um, enlisting the league operators that run a BCA league. Sorry, that was Tony calling. <laughs> we're running a BCA. Um, or we're asking the league operators of the BCAPL leagues to kind of verify handicaps sure. for us. And so it's a more controlled group, and so we hope that'll help um, keep the tournament uh, a more even tournament, a, a more fair tournament for the players involved in each division. Awesome. So are you looking to schedule the next next ones, or are you just taking the first one 
and seeing how that how that goes and then yeah we're gonna go take, on from there <laughs> we're gonna see how this one goes and and work out any kinks and uh and then we'll work with some of the pool rooms around the area to find out where and when the new york city nine ball and ten ball championships will be so but it's really cool this is actually i don't know um that there is any other nine foot eight ball championship on the east coast at mm -hmm. all because most of the time you see eight ball played in on a bar table. Yes. So it, I'm really excited to see the upper echelon players play eight ball on the big table because it's not something I've seen before outside of the U.S. Open eight ball championships last year right. in Vegas. It's not as common, and I'm sure even years ago it might have been more, more common. But you hardly ever see top level players playing. Um, playing eight ball and now they've moved over CSI to having the invitational tournaments so they'll have the invitational 10 ball and invitational eight ball mm -hmm. in Vegas there so that should be interesting to see what kind of changes and who all they'll have yeah. on the lineup I agree mm -hmm. I agree but what's really nice is I just uh, I saw on their press release that they are now going to have a 10 ball bar box event in Vegas ah. as well as your, your eight ball and nine ball that they already offer. They are so. adding a 10 ball. Yeah. So it's, I think it's great. I think the more opportunities and the more events people have to play in the better, like just give us a lot of variety. Right, yeah. <laughs> variety, variety, variety. <laughs> variety is the spice of life, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and on a personal note, I know that you and Tony are preparing to go on your honeymoon soon yeah we'll be gone for three weeks um to europe so we're actually meeting up with uh, jp from az billiards uh, uh, we're gonna meet him in paris um and we're just gonna travel around the mediterranean so who knows if we're even gonna come back <laughs> <laughs> no we'll come back we're coming back i promise but uh it's a much needed vacation for us um we got married october 12th after seven years um, of dating, uh, mm -hmm. we finally got hitched, and um, we're just really excited for this next chapter in our lives. We're, we feel so blessed to have found one another. It's rare that you find people, somebody that you have such a great bond with. So we're very blessed. And, <laughs> and that you can have a successful working relationship on top of uh, the personal compatibility is tremendous. We um we we are so lucky. I. Because we do, we, I mean, we're around each other a lot. Uh, we must like each other. <laughs> yeah. We're around each other a lot. It, it's a nice dynamic between the two of us because Tony's really the face for most of our businesses, and he's such a great personality. Uh, and he, nobody has a bad word to say about Tony. Um, and, you know, so it's nice that he has that, um, that reputation and that, and that personality to go with the businesses that we offer. And I'm at home. He changed me to the desk here. Like, I... Everybody thinks he's a nice guy. No, he's not. I'm a slave in our home doing all the crunching of the numbers and the paperwork. But um, no, like we, it's, we do have a nice dynamic. We're, we're very fortunate that it seems to work out so well for us. So. Well, I hope you have a tremendous time on your trip. Well-deserved vacation. And I uh, wish you the best of luck uh, for the upcoming New York Championships in June, which is right before my birthday. So I'm really looking forward to that too thank you and if I could sort of take this small opportunity to thank you and Jerry for all of your hard work. I live in New York City I know what these people are doing 
And Jerry Tarantola and Allison Fisher, like, you, they're, uh, Upstate Al said it best. You're like mosquitoes. You're all over the place. <laughs> and, I mean, really, I, Allie and I were talking earlier about it. I, while we want pool to be on a stronger path and, you know, have more opportunities for the players and, and even the, the professionals to have better events and stronger payouts for them, there's also a part that uh, it's very important to Tony and I, and it's the education of the pool players to what goes on behind the scenes, whether it's the promoters or the events or even the media. There's so, so, so much work that's being done, and I hope everybody out there listening recognizes and appreciates the amount of work that goes into an often thankless job. So from Tony and I, I would like to thank you guys, as well as AZ Billiards, all the media outlets, um, Billiards Digest, uh, Tony's a you know columnist for Billiards Digest, sure. and uh, the sponsors, the, the, the businesses in the pool world that can often feel so much like, what am I doing? <laughs> right. Um, just thank you to everybody that's making pool bigger and better and, and stronger, and uh, I hope we're all in this together, so I really hope that there's a recognition and appreciation from the players because you guys deserve it. Well, I really appreciate that, and I know that everyone out there involved in um, whatever aspect it is, whether you're a player or a promoter, everyone can do a small part, even if it's just saying positive things about other players, saying positive things about uh, the other promoters, even if even if you don't totally agree with them, I think we can all benefit from speaking speaking highly and not um, not putting down the work of other people because the more we can unify, the more we can see progress. So on that note, I think we can wrap things up. I want to thank you very much for joining us this week, Gail. It's been really great. I really appreciate you guys asking me for the interview, and um, thank you so much for everything. I really do appreciate it. Bye, oh, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us this week, and we are going to sign off for Pool on the Grind. I'm Allison Fisher here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. Welcome back to American Billiards Radio. This is Mark Cantrell, the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And uh, I've been looking at the billiards forums, as usual, and found that there is a lot of attention being paid to the UK's nuclear key school. And so I decided uh, to try and get our friend Alex Pagelein uh, on the show to talk to us a little bit about it. So I'm joined by Alex. How are you doing, Alex? Hi there, Mike. I'm doing good. Excited. Yeah, you know, I, I started looking on the internet, and I tell you, it, it's gone nuts. People have an opinion on this. Oh, everybody has an opinion. Oh. <laughs> so, first of all, let, let me ask you this. Why did you decide to go to the Hughes School? Well, I don't want to regret... Uh 
down the road. I mean, right before I get older, uh, I, I don't want to get for the rest of my life that I didn't try the snooker. So this way, by trying it uh, next month, uh, no regret for the rest of my life. Well, the thing is, you know, you're, it's not like you can't play snooker. How long have you actually been playing snooker? That's the problem. I don't know how well I can play the game, but uh, whatever I play someone or I play a tournament, either I beat my opponent playing for money or I win the tournament. So I still don't know how good I can play. But obviously, down in the UK where everybody, all the pros plays, I don't know how I'm gonna uh, how I'm gonna end up, you know. So we'll see. Well, well, the thing is, you you've been the Canadian snooker champion what back to back years, and Canada has some great players. I'm sure Cliff Thorburn and Kurt Stevens and Alan Robidoux and Jamie White. I'm sure they were all playing in that as well, right? Right. Uh, I don't know about when I wanted Elaine and uh, those guys didn't play, right? Well, Elaine, did he play? I can't even remember the last time. I don't think he played. So I don't know. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think it's an easy tournament to win, I guess is my, my point. So if you're beating the people that are in Canada, and there's some great players in Canada... Then it says you've obviously got the talent to do fairly well. To be honest, I didn't know how I do it, but it's just somehow the balls just keep going in the hole, right? They <laughs> <laughs> just keep going in the hole. That's how I. <laughs> well, yeah, I wish I had that problem. But are you getting any advice from Jim White or Cliff Thorburn or any of those things up there? Well, I'm trying to get advice from everybody because. I still don't know the game. I got no clue how to play. I mean, I just watch on uh, television or the internet, and I watch everybody play. So basically, they while I'm playing, they teaching me, right? Because by watching them, I right. remember. I remember uh, playing a semifinal with Jan White. I was in a lot of positions uh, that match. Uh, it was in the semifinal. It was the score was six five, and it's like six hours grueling match. But it taught me a lot. So and then when I played in the final, and I gave uh, whatever uh, John White did to me in that semifinal, I did it to my opponent the next, the very very next uh, uh, match. So he's scratching his head. Ah, now I th- I, th- I told him, nah, how you guys like it? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I thought when, well, you said that you want to do it because you don't want to have any regrets uh, right, right, when you right. get older. Yeah. So it's not it's not about the money, then. It's not about the money. I just want to see what I, if I can do it or not. So it's just like another challenge for me, so... It's not about the money. I don't really care if I make money or not. I just want to go there and try it. Because I always wanted to play. I keep saying I'll go next year, next year, next year. And then I decide what I'm going to do it. When I'm like 50 or something, <laughs> I said, might as well do it now. So I decided uh, last week that I'm going to do it. Well, you know, like you said earlier, um, everybody's going to have an opinion. And obviously there's people out there who think it's too late for you to change your style. 
right, to right. adapt to snooker. Um, you know, and what, you a T5 now, Alex? Yeah, I see, like, people, they just say stuff, right? Uh, if I listen to them, like, if it's going to affect me, I won't be here. Wouldn't be here, right? So, where I'm at. The people, they're always going to... Some people, they say they're gonna, you're going to make it. Some people, they're not going to make it. It's like an opinion. It's like it's going on in the rest of the world. You know how it is. Like, people, they're just going to keep saying stuff. And so, me, I just don't listen to them. I just go. Whatever the outcome, hey. Right? Right. Right. Yeah. Are you going to have to change your style much? No, not really. I get the... I don't think I need to uh, change my style, I, but I know one thing, I need to learn the game. But my stroke is good enough for the game, my stance is good enough for the game, my attitude is good enough for the game, my heart is good enough for the game. I, there's only one problem, I need to learn the game. Right. Yeah, if I learn the game, my, well... And one other thing, if my potting skill, making balls, is if it improves, and definitely I'm in the game. Right. What's your what's your highest break to this point? I I run one forty seven before. You don't want to see. Well, I know it's more than making balls, but and you know this is the strategy and the safety play and things like that that you know can win or lose uh, that frame. Uh, right. for snooker. But if you're able to run a one four seven break, that's uh that's not an easy thing to do. You understand that of course. But maybe you're just one of those people well you are one of those people. You're one of those people who's born with uh, this talent. And I think like yourself or somebody like Ronnie O'Sullivan, it doesn't matter what the game is to a certain extent because you're gonna be able to adapt and probably just be good at whatever game it is that you play. So I think you're gonna do well. When when does when does the Q school start? Uh it's on May tenth. May tenth. Yes, it's right around the corner. Mm, yeah, not not uh, not that far. And how long did it go for? I don't I got no clue. You know what Mark, you know what I always believe? I don't think there's no human being cannot do anything if you put your time into it, if you put your effort, if you be dedicated to that, whatever you're doing. I think everybody's going to make it. I always believe that. If you put the hard work and everything, I think everybody's going to make it. Right. Well, that's a, it's a good attitude to have. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think everybody can make it. I think everybody should try doing that, I mean, if you just put your, obviously, whatever whatever you put on is what you're going to get, right? Right. So. Well, I think if you can uh, make it through the Q school and get on the, uh, sure. uh, on the pro tour, uh, I think you're going to be very, very popular because um, you've got a good personality and, uh, you know, you, you don't, you don't look like a robot, I guess, um, like some snooker players do. You know, it's all very fundamental and there's not a whole lot said. But you've got a, a little bit of a, a character about you. And over in the UK, they love that kind of stuff. 
talking to Michael Medley, the owner of Michael's Billiards in Fairfield, Ohio. How you doing, Michael? Um, fantastic. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Michael's Billiards. 23 years I've been in business. Wow. I stepped out, of, I stepped out for a few years and come back. I was uh, taking a little bit of a break, but I've been open 23 years and I... Uh, Played the game pretty good for a pool room owner. A lot of pool room owners don't play very well. <laughs> but I, pl- I played one game real well. It was bank pool. I played a lot of champions. 
throughout my uh, tenure in uh, in this industry, and I've been very avid to the game and very conscious of it. I I carry. Uh, I actually was talking to Greg Sullivan yesterday from Diamond Billiards, and we reminisced back to the first. I was his first multi table purchaser in the whole area, uh-huh. actually in the country. He sold a couple in Louisville, and I bought uh, eight of them, I think, at one time. And and then since then, I've bought about 40 of them and sold oh, wow. them. Bought, and I have a room full of uh, diamond tables. I've got 13 of them, and, uh, and I have some valley bar tables, which I'm now mm-hmm. in the process as we speak to uh, putting all diamond tables in. I'm making a purchase with the... Uh, to make it a complete diamond table That's room. That's great. That's great. 23 years in the industry, you know, I've been 12,000 square foot, and I I do a little business on the uh, streaming on YouTube, or uh, mm-hmm. Ustream, and I'm getting ready to switch over to a, a Zach Goldsmith out mm-hmm. of Columbus. He's, I'm going on his uh, streaming all over the country doing that. So uh, You got any tournaments or leagues that you run out of your room? Uh, yes, I run uh, the Napa League, the uh, and I have a couple in-house leagues on uh, Monday and Wednesday, Tuesday night. I have uh, a full Napa League, about a uh, eighty players, and on Thursday I have about a hundred players. Oh wow! In there on Thursday night, Friday night we have uh, open play, and uh, Saturday night I have a uh, bar table tournament, Luck of the Draw Partners. And on Sunday evening, I have an eight ball one week, nine ball the following week for the not so good players, but yeah. you know what we'd call the C and D B players, type players that uh, run about twenty, thirty players on Sunday evening and forty or fifty on Saturday evening. So it's it's pretty that's great. pretty nice to have uh, have things going like that. Yes, that's great. Yeah, it's uh, hard to come by where you can get uh, regular turnouts for, for tournaments. So to have those well, kind of numbers, that's that's great, Michael. Right. And we also, uh, about every month or every other month at this stage right now, I'm doing business with D. Atkins on a mm-hmm. uh, one-pocket, handicap one-pocket. We've been having 50, 60 players. Nice. And we think that's going to grow even going into the spring weather. And uh, about every quarter, I have Shannon Dalton come in with the Great Southern Tour. Mm-hmm. So, and we've been pretty successful with that. So, it's uh, I stay pretty active. Sometimes oh, it's not real lucrative dollar wise, but you know how that works <laughs> in the industry. Uh, but I, I want to keep my name out there and keep things going, uh, and allowing people to know uh, on AZ Billiards and across the country that you know there's always something going on at Michaels. If it's not tournament or league play, there's action there somewhat. So uh, we like to stay active that way. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> yeah, that's why, you know, I, I love what we're doing because, you know, we're giving, we're giving room owners a, a great way to, to reach a, a very wide audience. And, and right. um, so, yeah, just for, for, you know, rooms just like yours, you know, if, if, if people are going out of town, you know, all they got to do is look on the app and, oh, well, they got a tournament tonight. Um, right. Yeah, so, so great. I'm, uh, hopefully we'll get you signed up with us and then everybody can know when your tournaments and events are. And that's awesome. Cause it sounds like you guys are doing quite a bit down there and, you know, working with Zach and everything. He's been 
he's been a right. huge supporter of us since we started. So, so yeah, he's having a great, him in great room. guy. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. So, um, your room is going to be a location for an upcoming tournament for a very special kid named Hunter. You want right. to give us your feedback on that? Well, we're kind of excited. I actually had a double event uh, going at the same time. We were going to try to do it, but I I spoke with D. Atkins and another one of his gentlemen that are helping him and told mm-hmm. them that I thought it would be best if we concentrate strictly on the uh, uh, Hunter's event so mm-hmm. we can contribute a little better and have a, a, a possibly a better turnout just for his event. Right. And uh, we're going to postpone the, the one-pocket tournament the same date, and I think there's mm-hmm. several uh, pros possibly coming. I think that uh, Scott Frost has already committed to come in. and Right. Uh, I think D will be there, D. Atkins, and mm-hmm. there's possibly a couple of the other guys coming. Uh, I'm not sure that the uh, Joey Gray or Chip Compton may may be there also. We're waiting on that confirmation now. Mm-hmm. Some great little players, young fellas. And uh, so we're looking forward to that taking place here. You know, I'm excited. Hopefully, you know, with the with the tournaments, you know, we can do as much as we can to to help out the family and everything. And maybe it'll, you know, right. I've seen more people jump on board with the project and, and helping the Cole family out than I've ever seen within the, the pool industry. So hopefully, you know, maybe this is the spark that it needs to, to open up other doors and, and get us going down other avenues and, and hopefully, you know, exposing pool at the same time while, while you know, doing great causes and, and helping these people out. So. I commend Absolutely. you for for hosting the event and everything, and and putting in the hard work to to get it going. Uh, so. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, um, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you and where you're located. Well, I'm located in the Greater Cincinnati area, called Fairfield, Ohio, 20 miles north of Cincinnati. My phone number is five one three eight six zero 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 four four, and you can also contact me on my webpage, michaelsbilliards.com, and called Fairfield, Ohio. Look forward for anybody to want to stop by to visit. We'll treat you like family. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Michael. And uh, if you're interested you're in donating uh, to the to the tournament for Hunter and to the cause, um, you can find out more by contacting everybody down at Michael's Billiards and finding him online. And uh, and you can also go onto the Go Play Pool app, of course. And we have a page set up for Hunter, and we have a, an entire website. Uh, it's called Pool Together. It's pooltogether.goplaypool.com. And from there, you can donate to various individuals who are going through some health struggles and stuff right now. So you know, make sure you check that out. It's Again, it's pool together, one word, dot go play pool, dot com. And, uh, yeah, find out how you can help these guys out and, and, you know, contribute to the cause. And, yeah, make sure you download the app. It's free on Android and iOS. And if you're a room owner and you're looking for a great way to advertise, get a hold of us. And also, we do these podcast interviews for free. So if you're interested and want to showcase your room on American Billiard Radio, Make sure you get in touch. And uh, 
Michael, I really appreciate you getting on the phone with me today and and talking to me and giving us all a little bit of insight on Michael's billiards. Well, that's great. It's been my pleasure, and thank you for having me. All right, Michael. Well, uh, we will talk to you soon, and good luck in everything, and, and we hope the next 23 years are just as successful. Thank you, and I appreciate that. And we hope you'll join us next time for another edition of the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week right here on American Billiard Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another week of American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton, joined by another very special guest this week. This week, I'm joined by the Texas Tornado, Vivian Villarreal. Vivian, how you doing? Hey, great. Glad to have, you know that you're, you, you have me on board with you today. How are things in Texas this week? Oh, my God, it's so hot. <laughs> don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm regretting the, the heat. It was, a great, it was a great winter. It was nice and cool. But yeah, it's in Texas. I love Texas. Born and raised here, but the only thing is, summers are just hot. I think the last time I was in Texas was for Ultimate Ten Ball, and um, I mean, I'm used to hot weather, so it's it's not really that big a deal, personally. No, I mean, but when it's it, it, the difference is, it's not like Vegas where it's like dry heat. I mean, this is humid heat. So you take a shower, and then you come out, and you're already like all hot and sticky. Not me, but most people. <laughs> right. That's the only bad thing about it. <laughs> for, for our listeners who might not be aware, can you give us a, a, a brief explanation as to where the Texas Tornado nickname came from? Actually, Mark had that. I'll never forget this. I was playing in a tournament with Joanne Mason long time ago in Chicago. And I was playing a match and Mark used to work for uh, Billiard Dice. Uh, no, it was Pulling Billiard Magazine. And he's sitting there watching me, and he's making all these noises. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? And, you know, I was cracking up, and I was shooting, and he just like, shh, shh, making all the noises. And I'm like, hey, shh. You know, I would tell him, shh. He goes, no. He goes, shh. And I was playing really good against Joanne. And all of a sudden, he goes, man, there's a funnel cloud coming along. I said, a funnel cloud? Said, I even told him, I said, what did you have to drink today? <laughs> and then he says, uh, now there's a funnel cloud coming along. He goes, oh, my God. And then, you know, of course, my shooting ability, it's always one, two, and then I shoot. He goes, man, it's like a tornado. And then he goes, oh, my God, Texas tornado. And that's basically, it just stuck with me ever since then. It was. I have to thank Mark Haddad for that. Well, it it does seem like a perfect nickname. Having watched you race around the table, and I mean, there's there's no there's no lollygagging around when you're on a roll. Right, 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 right. No, no, and, and it's true. I mean, I've been to me, it just uh, I've been voted the most exciting player to watch, male or female. And and when I go out there, and when I was coached by Robert Dorries, I mean, he just you know he just says that, you know, it's like I'm dancing around that table. And I'll never forget that one match I played Robin uh, Bell in Houston. And uh, not one, a race to nine, I beat her in 27 minutes. It was 9-0, and not one of those games was a combination. I'll never forget it. 
I imagine that's a match that she would like to forget. <laughs> yes, I know, but she was like, oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Steve Tipton was like, wow. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, you mentioned that, you know, you got the nickname at a tournament a long time ago. I mean, you've really been a fixture in women's pool for, what, 20, 25 years now, haven't you? Well, I came in on board in 1991, and uh, my first event was in uh, Hawaii. And uh, that's when I went unranked to number one in the world. It was about like 13 months or something like that. And then I kept the number one ranking for about five years, and then Jeanette came along, and her and I battled for the ranking, and she was there, you know, five years or so. And then it was Allison, you know, she has a credible record, and hers was like, what, 10, 12 years, and then it was Karen Core. So, you know, uh, yeah, I, I've been very blessed, very, very fortunate, you know, something that I love to do, and I get to travel the world, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been 20, what, 23 years now, so. Well, I'm curious as to what your opinion is, having had 23 years to to really – witness the billiard industry as it came and went and grew and and shrunk and i mean what's your opinion on where we're at right now well when i i remember we had 20 something tournaments a year and it got to the point to where half were on tv half weren't uh on tv so then we decided with espn to go ahead and do you know cut it down to 12 tournaments a year all on tv and um, I just think with the economy, the way everything hit everybody, all the businesses, um, I think that's what has hit everybody. I think with the billiard industry, I think, um, what do we have, 54 million or 30 million, something like that, pool players, you know, in the United States, right. not including all over the world, because forget it, in Asia, everywhere else. I mean, of course, there's more, but I think that, you know, Sponsors will start coming around. I think um, I, 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 that's that's what, you know, it's just you need that huge sponsor. It's like I see golf. Oh, my God, they had the Valero here in Texas, and first prize was $1.1 million. I'm like, wow. But it's just all that TV and sponsorships that they have. And I think one day soon, you know, that hopefully, you know, we'll pick up one of those huge sponsors, you know. Uh, but I just think with economy, it just hit everybody hard. Well, I, I've mentioned on the show a couple times in the past that I've been doing research into older events, like from the late 90s, and it seemed like back in the 90s there were $1,000 added tournaments all over. There were $5,000 added tournaments all over. I mean, little pool rooms here and there, and, and it seemed like almost every other weekend you were reading about some... $5,000 added open event with a $500 or $1,000 added women's event on the side. Um, we don't seem to have that anymore. I, I I mean, I honestly think, I mean, I see it, uh, but not as many as we used to. Yes, you're correct back then. Uh, but now I think little by little, I think it's coming around. Like I'm having, you know, the... Uh, an event that a couple of, you know, there are a couple of friends, Carlos and Hugo, that own EV8. And they they're, they built this beautiful pool room that's $1.2 million that they put into it. And it's beautiful. And I'm not because they're my friends. I've never seen such a nice place, you know. And um, basically, 
you know, they said, we don't do anything down here with pools, so why don't you help me out? We'll have a tournament. I said, sure. So, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm going to have a tournament May 9th uh, through the 11th, and it's $10,000 guaranteed, you know, added money, and then I'm also going to have a women's $1,000 guaranteed added money. I know Nick Varner just had one. So I think little by little, everybody's coming around. I mean, that's how I feel. And I do want to, I want to ask you more about that tournament coming up. Um, do you, and I guess you already answered the question, do you see that as the direction that we're going where pool rooms are going to get back into holding these semi-major events and maybe we're not going to see as much pool in casinos as we used to? Oh, yes, 100%. I think that, you know, I think little by little they're coming around. I mean, my dream, hopefully, is, is to open up a beautiful pool room and have tournaments here with the women's, you know, with the top players and, you know, with the WPBA and have a tour here. But, like, you know, I know Nick just had one. I'm having one here. And now you do see little by little where you see the tournaments as 5,000 added, 10,000 added. So I think gradually it's growing. And, you know, as you can see on the on the, on AZ Billiards with the uh, on the forums where I posted on the U.S. tournaments here, you can see, like on the flyer, like all those those sponsors that that put money into this tournament. So to me, I think that it's changing, you know, little by little. It it does sound good, and and right now the industry needs anything positive that it can get going. Um, Vivian, I want to take a short break, and then when I come back, um, I do want to ask you about that tournament along with a couple other things, but first, we'll take a real short break. We'll be right back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to Vivian Villarreal this week. Uh, Vivian, I know you're chomping at the bit to tell everybody about this uh, Texas Tornado Open. So how did this whole thing come about, and when is it, and where is it, and how can people enter? Oh, my God, I'm so excited. I'm really, really excited. So hopefully, you know, it's the, it's the first annual Texas Tornado Open, it's, uh, and the place is EDH. It's in McAllen, Texas. So it's about three hours, three and a half hours from San Antonio, but... I have a couple of friends that opened up a beautiful pool room down there in McAllen. And, you know, they said they wanted to 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 get billiards involved. And they have 16 uh, eight-footers diamond tables. And I said, sure. I said, you know, we can get some good money added and we'll have a tournament. And sure enough, we got 10000 guaranteed added, limited to 128 players. And then now we've got a thousand dollars added, uh, limited to 32 women players. Hopefully, I'm going to try to get a little bit more money for the women. And the entry fee for the men is seventy dollars, for the women it's fifty. Um, and you can go on AZ Billiards, uh, as you know, it's posted on the U.S. tournaments there, and and you post it up in front. Uh, but I'm just really excited. You know, they they want to support pool, so I think these venues, little by little, you know. Um, I think it's going to grow, but I'm really excited about this tournament. So it's our first annual, and I'm sure I'll get 128 players, and hopefully we can go from there and make it grow. 
there seems to be quite a bit of uh, tournament action at that level in Texas. Why do you think that is? I, I don't. I mean, Maine just had one at Big Time Billiards, and that was 128 players. They had seniors. They had banks. They had one pocket. It's just, uh, I don't know, but it's it's been growing, in which I'm, I'm I'm glad because, like you were talking about earlier, you know, these pool rooms are starting to get added money and bringing this money together, and you know, it brings more more business to their to their uh, to their billiard room. So May 9th through 11th, um, if players are interested in entering the tournament, who should they contact? Um, there is, uh, on the uh, forum there, there's a, a number there, Tito Fernandez, or you can go to EZAPool at gmail.com for the PayPal account. And uh, But all the information is right there up on, on uh, AZ Billiards under the first annual Texas Tornado Open, so all the information is there. And you mentioned that there were a number of sponsors for the event. Uh, can you tell us who some of those are? Oh, my God. There's uh, the Boiler Room. Uh, okay, the sponsors are Career Institute, Matt's Muscles, Taco Palenque, Mambo Seafood, Palenque Chicken, La Quinta, Vogue, Texas Border, Bellissima, Big uh, Rio Grande, GQ's, Billiards and Dart Supply, Mega Doctor, Horses and Carriages, uh, Hampton and Suites. So I got we 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 got a lot of, of sponsors. So I'm really really happy that they're supporting the the tournament. That is good news. Um, it's certainly good to see that kind of response from outside the billiards industry because it sounds like a number of those sponsors are outside the industry. Oh yes, yes, and that's what. You know, Mike, and, and it's been a blessing, too. Like, all my sponsors have been outside the industry. It's kind of funny. Uh, most of my sponsors, besides Omega, and I have Blackheart right now, but most of my sponsors have been outside the industry. But having these people like this, Texas Border Business, you know, it, it seems like, you know, it's it makes me happy because now this is successful later on, you know. You never know that they might want to have a tournament, you know, once a month or every three months, you know which is good for the industry. Absolutely. Um, so from what I understand, it sounds like the uh, the players are going to be coming to you pretty soon looking for sponsorship. You've got a new product <laughs> you're getting ready to put out. I know. I'm so happy. It's called the Coaster Fan. Uh, my partner and I, Joe Santos, he came up with this invention. And uh, Jeanette's seen it, Allison's seen it, and Kelly Fisher. I mean, they're really, really happy for me. Ava's seen it. And it's basically, uh, it's called a coaster fan. It fits most water bottles, a uh, 12-ounce can, a uh, beer bottle, and uh, and party cups. And you put your drink inside this little cup, and on the side, you have a fan. So you're drinking and getting fanned at the same time. But on the little fan, it's like an eight, I have eight balls, basketball, football, soccer, tennis, uh, any sport that you can think of. And uh, you're going to be able to see it on my website, vivianbillyall.com, or you can go to thecoasterfan.com. The website should be up in a couple of, in about two or three days. And I'm so excited because I was telling the girls that with this, you know, we might have a coaster fan tour. So the <laughs> girls are like, don't worry, I'm right along with you. I can't tell you exactly what they said, but they're they're there with me. Just, they said, well, I'll tag along, do whatever I got to do. So <laughs> I'm real excited, real, really excited. It's going to change my life. Well, I hope so. Hopefully it, uh, hopefully it does well for you and it, it brings a little bit more money into the billiards industry. Oh, 
yes, yes. Um, I, and, and it will. It's something that you've never seen. And I, I've been selling them like crazy. So uh, it's it's really, really cool gadgets. So I know, Mike, you're thinking, let me, what does this thing look like? So you'll get to see it soon. Like, wow. You'll probably buy some from me for AZ Billiards. Oh, I'm sure I will. <laughs> So, Vivian, uh, what have you have got coming up on the on, in the future besides McAllen on May 9th through 11th? What other tournaments are you going to be at? I was I'm not quite sure yet. I was going to go to the uh, China Open in Shanghai, uh, but I probably have this. I have uh, I don't have my roster in front of me, but here I have Vegas. I'm going to go to Vegas. Um, what else? And we have another tournament in August that's going to be up in, and I don't know if that's, hopefully that's supposed to be on one of our tour events uh, in, uh, it's going to be in Virginia. So I don't have my, my uh, roster in front of me, but on the, uh, the, my calendar in front of me, I'm sorry. But on my website, com, you can see like all the uh, tournaments that I'll be attending. Okay. But before anything else, uh, May 9th through 11th, Easy Eights Billiards and Sports Bar in McAllen, Texas is the place, right? Yes, they need to come down here. They can come and challenge me. They can come and get, you know, uh, a coaster fan, any of my apparel, and they can come and talk to me. And, you know, it's a chance for them. It's it's a cheap entry. It's a chance for them to play, you know, like Silver or Trova. I know some of the, the pro guys are going to go down there. So it's a chance to play some of the great players, you know, for uh, a cheap entry. And if they win, well, Jesus, they can make good money, too, so on the tournament. Well, it sounds great. Um, hopefully you'll come back and join us and let us know how everything's going with the Coaster Fan and, and uh, your tournaments and and everything else. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. And, and I wanted to thank everybody, like my fans. You know, they've been really, really good to me and, you know, in supporting me and motivating. Uh, you know, that they have always motivated me, but... I don't know with the WTBA they haven't announced it yet, but I have gotten inducted in the in the Women's Billiards uh, Hall of Fame. I don't know if you know that. No, I hadn't heard that. That's outstanding. Yeah. Yes, I didn't. They just we hadn't. They haven't done the uh, write up yet. But Jeanette was last year, so oh my God, Mike, I cried. I was so happy. It's just so many years of hard work, you know. But yeah, I'm the WTBA Hall of Fame. Well, it's it's definitely very much deserved. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. So I'm just really, really, really happy. I just, the only thing, you know, I lost my father six years ago and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. So, you know, I'm thankful for that. Well, Vivian, I appreciate you taking some time and talking to us today. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame induction and congratulations on the Coaster Fan and the Texas Tornado Open. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. And, you know, thank you for everything. All right, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. A race to nine, I'll spawn you the seven. I'll give you my life if you get me to heaven. Fourteen hours of too much green. Racking the balls till it brings out the sheen. Such a long time to waste playing pool. Fourteen hours of being the fool. Eleven creeped as the nine ball drops. Ending all hope for a comeback pop. Fourteen hours of chalk up and play. Nothing to show except the light.